Good morning. Welcome to 2024. How about that, right? I, uh, I love New Year's. I do. Um, and and, I, and I, this passage that I, I'm looking forward to sharing with you today is a passage every, every January I go back to this one passage and just go and take another look at it again. Uh, and, and so I'm excited to share this with you. Uh, today. Um, so this month of January, we are going to take a break from the Hero series. We're coming back to it in February. But for this, this month, we're going to kind of, we're going to work on resetting. Uh, so today, uh, reset for 2024. So um, how many of you youngsters out there or maybe um, oldsters used to play or do still play video games? I, I played in college on uh, video games and even into my married life. Um, uh, when I was a kid, I remember after church, my, my dad would not allow us to have the Nintendo, the original. I loved Mario Brothers and the, the Duck game too. Um, so we would, I always was excited when after church service, we would go over to one of their friend's houses and he had a Nintendo. It was the only time I could play Nintendo. And I asked for a Nintendo for every Christmas and birthday and my dad refused. Just saying. Um, and so I didn't get a, a yeah, I know, uh, uh, and so I didn't get a video game system until I was like a senior in high school and it was like Sega Genesis. Um, anyways, and then I went to college and I had like a little cube thing and then I went to Xbox and, and played Halo with all my college friends and then I took that and I remember the day I told Barbara, I said, I am going to sell my, my video games and uh, all this and I'm going to buy a guitar. She was so excited. <laughs> She's, you've wasted enough time. But, you know, um, by using this as an analogy, when I, when I thought about, you know, how video games have that um, ability to just infuriate you, you know, you're, you're playing, I didn't hit that button, I got that guy, you know, and so you're, you're mad, you get frustrated, and I remember there was a certain button on my console that I really liked when things weren't going my way, I would just hit the reset button. I wouldn't power it off, I just reset it. I'm, we're, we're starting over here. So I always like that reset because it's like, if it's not going my way, I hit the reset button and I get to start over. You know what's really cool? God gives us a reset button too. Isn't it really cool that you could have a bad day and God lets us reset? I don't, I don't think that you guys are as excited about resetting as I am, but anyways, we'll work on that. Maybe we'll grow through the service, but I started thinking, man, how amazing it is that God allows us, you know, when, when, when things are not going well, I can just hit that reset button. So um, we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 3. Um, and, and so one of the things as we are preparing to go into that, a couple of things I want to bring you, you see all these tables everywhere. We're going to be doing communion, and we're going to do communion more often. Um, one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to do communion after the invitation. So if anyone here, if any of you uh, do not feel comfortable and do not want to participate, it's okay. Um, we love you, and it's okay that you are dismissed after. You know, while we're doing that, there's, a, there's an invitation time. You can quietly, after people are praying, quietly, quietly, right? Okay, we got that part down. Um, 
but you don't hurt my feelings and you don't hurt other people's feelings. If you're like, hey, I don't feel like this is where I'm, gonna, I'm not going to participate in that. It's okay. But we also want to make sure that we're offering that for those who do, but then not making you have to sit and watch them do that. So anyway, so we just, it's, it's an option that's here. Um, also, today marks the start of a new semester. So if you do not have a, a Sunday school class, there are, we just started today, like introductory classes. If you're new to the church, raise your hand if you're new to the church. Raise them high like you're proud to be here. All right, I'm looking at you. All right, all right, good. So we have a class. We have a class for those who are new. Um, it's called Foundations. I teach that class. It's an opportunity. I like teaching the class because I get to know you. I want to get to know you on a first-name basis. And the easiest way for me to be able to do that is to spend time with you. And I teach that. It's a 13-week class. You get 13 weeks with me. Maybe there's a reason why people don't actually finish the class. Anyways, so, um, but it's, a, it's, a, it's also how we join the church. So, um, but there's other classes. So if you do not have the, the, our, our church app on your phone, our welcome table at the end of the service can help you do that. You can sign up and enroll in all the classes through that app, or we can help you. That's why we have a welcome table there for you. Um, but um, also... If you haven't been coming on Wednesday nights, this is a great season to come to our Freedom Night. We are studying the bait of Satan, which is a great study. So uh, we want to encourage you, come and get your praise on, on, on a Wednesday night. We start worship at 6. We have a 20-minute message in there, some time at the altar, and then we dive into a bait of Satan class. We have youth classes and children. So if you are kind of new to the church, there's a lot going on, and we want to get you involved in all of it. I always tell people... If you would just give the Lord, give it all, one year, just, I'm all in. What do you have to offer? I'm in. And you can be amazed after one year, the changes that people talk about in their life. Man, I just gave God one year all in. I'm not going, I'm not going to put my toe in. You know, I'm not, I'm, I'm jumping in. There's a, almost, I almost broke out, but it's a good thing that I'm, there's a reason why I do this and, and not that. All right, so let's dive in. All right, Philippians 3.12, and Christy does not help me. She's like, her and Barbara sitting next to each other, this, this is like a life as a musical is about to happen. Not that I've already attained. So this is Paul. He's writing a letter to the Philippian church, and here's what, and we're going to back up a little bit here, but I like to do it this way. So not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid a hold of me. So the first thing that I want to bring to your mind is this. Note the not. <laughs> not that I. See, this is a, a negative form. And so what he's about to say is, all the things that I'm about to list, I haven't got them yet. He says, not that I have already attained or am already perfect. He's like, I'm not perfect, all right? So the second thing is I want to do is bring out the word attained. It's a verb, and, it, and, and, and so it means to acquire or obtain possession of. So he goes, I have not attained, I haven't acquired this thing, or already been made perfect. The Greek word is teleos. It means to make complete, finished, or perfect. He's saying, I am not a completely finished product, right? That's what he's saying. I am not completely finished. So this is in perfect tense. In the Greek, it means that there's a past action with abiding, like fulfilling results. So there's something that's happened. So something's happened in his life, 
And it's still having results working through his life. So, and we'll get to that in just a second. And it's also a passive voice. So this is being an action that's done to you, not by you. So he's saying, I haven't received or I haven't got, I haven't been made perfect. One, none of us can, have you, if you've ever tried to make yourself perfect, that ain't working. <laughs> Am I right? It ain't working, right? So if you're trying to make yourself, I'm going to be perfect. Has anybody ever wanted, like, today, I'm going to be good, Right? And you like, I'm going to do this, right? I'm going to be good. And then all of a sudden, like an hour later, you're already falling short because you're. De- so here's what he's saying is, God, I haven't be- be- I'm not complete yet, but it's really more about God hasn't made me complete yet. Like he hasn't finished his work. In other words, God's not done with you. If I could boil it down to all of this, he's saying, God is not done with me. I have not been made perfect yet. And we'll talk about that and again. So God is doing a work in his life. So here's what's really cool. Paul shows in this, this is a growing tension that is in this passage. He's showing a tension between a present attainment, what I have now, and future aspirations, what I want. So there's this tension between the present and the future here. Or, or, or yeah, yeah, it's more the present and the future. So he hasn't got it yet. Now, let's break this out. It's the same verse. Now I'm highlighting some different words. Not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on. So he's saying, I haven't got the other stuff. All right? But, so first thing that we're going to note, but, but I. So I haven't received perfection. I've not been yet made complete, but I. So this is something that he is going to be doing. But I press on. This word is a really neat word. I really like this word. Uh, Dioko. Everybody say that. One, two, three. Yeah, it just sounds, it's fun. It's fun. It means to chase, to capture, or pursue, to overtake. This word, dioko, in the Greek was used in two primary things, two things that I love a lot. Hunting. It's a hunting word. I got all the hunters. All the hunters are like, yeah, Dioko. And what, they use this word to describe a hunter who was, who, was, who was chasing his prey, right? He is out to get, he is, so he is a Dioko. He's, he's co- fully committed and he is chasing his quarry. And it was also used, where's, uh, where's Chloe? So Chloe, this last year, she was in the cross country and she meddled in the whole state in the championship match. Oh, sit down. No, see, that's why I don't use your name. She told me this morning, you always talk about Naomi, or you always talk about one of the other kids, and so I use her, and then what does she do? All right. Last time. No. So, so, the other, so Dioko was from a hunter when he was chasing, vigorously chasing to capture his quarry, or they used it to analogy of a foot race, someone who was aggressively pursuing to overtake the runner in front of them. This word was used in those two areas a lot, and it was to try to show you the energy behind this word. See, in English, have you noticed how our kids are ruining our English today? I, I have so many complaints against our kids today. I love you guys, but you're terrible. Um, the other day, my kid was like, oh, that's so cap. I'm like, there is not a cap on that bottle. <laughs> I've heard, I'll bust a cap. 
but now the word cap is for lying? I'm like, no, quit ruining everything. The other day, oh, I was so pressed. Oh, you were so, you were depressed and you just forgot the two for, no, I was angry. Angry's not pressed. Depressed, you could go, that's not anger. You guys are ruining it all, I'm telling you. Nothing's ever going to make sense, at least in the Greeks. See, let me give you another word. You know what the worst word that we twist and manipulate and destroy? Love. Love you, brother. Like, I, I, I tell everybody, I love you. But, but when I say I love you, it's like a filio love. I love my wife with Eris love, and she's the only one who gets my Eris love. You guys figure that out on your own. I have seven children. So, and, and then there's, I have a, Pastor Paul's like, oh. So, so you have a stratus love. A stratos love is a family love. A filio love is like whenever you walk down the hallway, he's like, man, I love you. Mark, I love you. That's a filio. So in the Greek, if we were doing, I'd be like, Mark, filio. And then I would look at Barbara and I was like, Eros. Nobody else gets that one, right? And if I looked at my kids, I could say stratos. And it's a love, but it defines what that love is. Today, we just use the word love, and we don't understand anything. So what I love about the Greek, when you break down the word of God, they use specific words on purpose. So when it says, when he says, but I, Dioko, it is talking about, man, he is pursuing, and he is so pursuing so hard that he's going to overtake someone. So he's in this race for his life. And he's about, he's a dioko, he's about to pursue so hard, he's going he's gonna to go from third place to second place, and I'm not stopping until I get to first place. So when, he's used, so when we get into Greek, that's what makes this so amazing. It's not just like, hey, I love you, man. No, he's like, man, this is, this is not just an action verb, this is the action word. So when Paul is talking about pressing on, he is talking about, man, with everything that I am, I am chasing to capture. I am pursuing to overtake. I press on that I may. You see that? I may. He's like, I don't even know if I'm going to catch that person that's running in front of me, but I'm going to run like I am. You see, I may lay a hold like I can, I can get a hold of. So here we go. Lay a hold is, is to obtain, to acquire. I'm going to run with everything that I am. I'm chasing to capture. I'm pursuing to overtake that I may just get a hold just so I can maybe hold this thing which Christ took a hold of me. It's a lot of energy to not even know if you're going to hold on to it very long, that I may. Have you ever thought about the work that goes into some of this? Hmm. The goal that he is, Paul's using in this passage is he's wanting to show the reader this goal that he has, that he, he's pursuing it with everything that he is. This, this isn't just, I'm just, it's, it's not like this, ah, I'm going to church, I'm trying it out. That's not Paul. Paul's not like, yeah, I'm going to give it a shot this year. Or I'm going to, you know, how, how many of our New Year's resolution, re- resolutions are kind of like, yeah, I'm going to give it a shot this year. Paul's like, I'm all in and I'm going 100 miles an hour until I can't go anymore because I just hope that I can grab a part of what I'm hoping for. Mm, I love it. See, this isn't a teaching on perfectionism. I've met some people along the way who have gotten caught into this doctrine that you can be perfect. Jesus is perfect. I'm a work in progress. Uh, doesn't mean that I don't 
press on towards that, that I'm trying to say, God, I want to be the most complete version of what this messed up thing can be, right? Am I right? I'm like, I'm like God, I know, you know, when I get up there and I start talking that, you know, I'm, I'm touching the, the gray lines here as Pastor Paul. I usually look at him and, and James are sitting right there and they, they, they start shaking their head. I'm like, I probably better back it up and slow down. My wife used to, in the back of her Bible, have all the stupid things that I said that I shouldn't have said. And it was kind of like, here's all the dumb phrases that my, my husband said behind the pulpit. And I was like, man, I can't believe I said that. That was really dumb. But anyways, uh, when you talk really fast, my mind doesn't work <laughs> as fast as my mouth does. So anyways, but I do want to keep in mind this. Remember the not that I, right? He's saying, not that I've already gotten a hold. He's saying, I haven't got what I want to hold on to yet. But I press on with everything that I am to try to get a hold of it. Does that make sense? And I love that. Paul is showing us his desire to take hold for the purpose for which Jesus appeared to him. You think about this. He's on the road persecuting the church. And Jesus shows up speaks to him he falls out he comes blind and and he has to be led into the town I mean his whole entire life was turned upside down I don't know if any of you have had your life turned upside down but this man's life was turned upside down and now he is showing a desire the strongest of desires to take hold of the purpose that Jesus showed up Jesus showed up in every one of your life you're here because Jesus at some point in your life showed up right? He showed himself to you and you are, you can either go about it a one way of like, you know, I'm just kind of trying this thing out. I'm going to see if it sticks. Paul was like, huh, I'm going to pursue to overtake. I'm chasing this. I'm giving everything I have that I might take a hold of the purpose that Jesus gave me. While all the while confessing that he hasn't yet taken hold of it. I'm talking about, you're, ta- you're telling me that he's in jail because of his belief. He's about to be executed for his evangelism efforts. Can you imagine sharing Jesus with people, then being arrested because you shared Jesus with people, and now you're about to be executed, and he said, I still haven't arrived. I'm like, there's, outside of Jesus, Jesus, of course, he's perfect, but outside of Jesus, Paul was not perfect, and yet I'm sitting here thinking, man, the prob- probably the one person in the entire Bible that has it most put together and should be considered the most complete of humanity is one saying, I don't have it together, but I'm chasing it like I want it. So what is Paul's goal? He's like, I am pursuing, I'm pressing on to take hold of that. So what does he want to take hold of? And here's where we're going to back up. Guys, one of my favorite passages in the New Testament is this right here. Philippians 3, 7 through 11. If you're in my Sunday school class, I'm still color coding for you. Whatever were my gains. I want you to think about this. This is Paul's heart being showed. I mean, if there was a passage that says, what's the heart of Paul? It's this one. Man, if you've ever read through the Bible and found a verse like, that's my heart. Has anybody ever found a verse like, that's my heart? Guys, right here. He says, whatever were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake. He says, whatever I thought I had. Whatever was important to me, whatever my priorities were, whatever the, my sweetest and most prized possession thing I had. Think about this right now. I want you to think about the thing that you own that is probably not, your, 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 you're not, not alive. Okay, let's take family, wife, 
children, all of that. And let's just say the thing that you have in your life that is probably the most prized possession you own. Maybe it's your home, maybe it's your land, maybe it's a boat, maybe it's a fishing pole, maybe it's a big buck that was mounted on your wall. I don't know for some people. Um, that's not family because you don't want to get in trouble yet, right? Um, if the house was burning, what are you taking out of it? Besides, you know, if your family was out of it. Joking aside. All right. But he says, whatever were to my gains. Now, to him, it was his education, his upbringing, his nationality. He was like, I'm a Benjamin. You know, I'm not just of any of the 12 tribes. I'm of the special tribe. I'm of David's. You know, I'm of this, and I'm of this, and I'm of this, and I'm a Pharisee, and I was circumcised on the eighth day, and I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees, and I'm a, I'm a you know, and so he had all of these acclimates, right? He had all of this stuff. He says, whatever was a gain to me now is a loss. He says, it's, it's a loss for the sake of Christ. So he says, everything that I hold dear in my life is a loss when I compare it to Christ. Now, what he goes on the very next verse. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. Can we say that? Can each one of you say that? Everything could you say, what is more, I consider everything I own, everything that I have, a loss as nothing when I compare it to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus? Is Jesus the greatest thing in your life? I want you to think about it because we, it's easy to say it. Guys, we live in this watered-down word world. We say, I love you to anyone who's breathing. We've lost the meaning of words. We've lost the power of words. I'm wanting, think about this. Everything in my life is nothing compared to knowing Jesus. Is Jesus, no, just knowing Jesus, the greatest thing in your life? That's what we've got to get to, right? And that's what he says. He goes, I, and he's writing this down for anyone. We're reading this thousands of years later of what he wrote in, you know, like 90 AD. For whose loss I've, I consider them garbage. And the King James does, remember what it, dung? Just saying it's biblical. Dung is poop. Come on, right? It is. I mean, that's what the word is. He says, I consider all my stuff poop. See how the kids laugh? See, they like this. Pastor Paul, they like this. Okay, so. <laughs> I consider them poop that I may, listen to this though. I may, so what he's saying is everything in my life is just trash that I may gain more of Jesus. Now, does this sound like his pressing on, the dioko I'm chasing to, to capture, I'm pursuing to overtake? And he's saying this, I, everything in my life is garbage that I just may gain more of Jesus. I want a little bit more of Jesus and be found in him. I don't want to just have more of him. I want to be found in him. Every time you get up, somebody sees you, they find you in Jesus. You're walking to school and you're in the hallway, they find you in Jesus. When you're in a classroom, they're finding you in Jesus. When Jesus returns, he finds you in him. Right? Isn't that kind of, isn't it, that, wouldn't that be great? So he's saying this is, this is his goal, folks. You want a New Year's resolution, this is it. God, I want more of you. I want more of you. I want to be found. I want other people to find me in you. 
Not having my own righteousness that comes through the law, but that which is through Jesus. Through faith, he goes, I want to believe so much in Jesus that his righteousness is oozing out of me. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. He does not shy away from suffering. What's so amazing about that culture and our culture today is when when someone suffered in that culture in 100 AD and under, those guys were like, thank you, Jesus, I'm suffering with you. Today we're like, oh man, my life is terrible. There's a difference. He goes, I want to participate in his sufferings. Has any of you ever asked to suffer with Jesus? That's usually the left off the prayer list, right? I mean, like, if we're making a list, that one's the one I'm not going to, I'm going to, like, I forgot, Lord, I didn't really want to suffer with you. I mean, who wants to suffer? And yet here, Paul's writing it. He's like, I'm so in love with Jesus, and I'm pursuing Jesus so much that I even want to suffer with him. That does not sound fun. And yet here it is. And he goes, becoming like him. He goes, I want to become like Jesus. Not just like him, like him. See how easy that would have been just to leave that out? I want to be like him in his death. I want to live like Jesus. I want to suffer like Jesus. And I want to die like Jesus. Hmm? Something I like to say a lot is that when I, when I die and I go to heaven, the one thing I just want to hear so bad is, well done, my good and faithful servant. Like, that's what I want to hear. Like, I don't want any gold or silver or anything. I just, I just hope that, my, my hope is that when I get done and I, take my, I close my eyes here and I open them in the kingdom of glory, that God will just say, well done. You were good and you were faithful as a servant of mine. I want to live well, I want to suffer well, and I want to die well. That's exactly what Paul's saying, just in different words. I want to know him. I want to be found in him. I want a righteousness from him. So I want to live well. I want to suffer participation in the sufferings. I want to suffer well, and I want to die well. And then, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Isn't that pretty cool? Now check this out. Okay, so now we're in 2024. Uh, I said earlier, I like New Year's. I love New Year's resolutions. I think in New Year's resolutions, you know where we make the most mistakes is that we make it about us so much that we make it about typically our physical selves every year. Like, oh, my New Year's resolution is I'm going to lose some weight and I'm going to do this or I'm going to read the, a book a month. I'm going to, you know, we have all these resolutions and hardly ever are they really about our spiritual walk, which is probably the most important thing. So when I started thinking about this, I'm like, you know what, though? I don't want to ever encourage people not to make a New Year's resolution. Because even if we start making some changes, man, this could be really good that we can make some changes and keep going with that. The reason why I like it, New Year's resolutions, is for a couple of reasons. Number one, you set goals. Resolution is a goal. When you set a goal, it's because you have a desire to better yourself. So you see something inside of yourself or about yourself that you want to change. I want to change this. So you set a goal. That's good because you know what? 
It's really hard to, 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 to uh, make goals when you don't think that you have anything wrong. Number two, that when we set these goals, so number one is that goals come from a desire to better yourselves. And the second thing I like about setting New Year's resolutions is that it's meaning that we are giving ourselves an evaluation of our condition. See, I'm setting a goal because I, I, want, I want to better myself, but I, to, to get to that goal, I have to take an honest evaluation of myself to see where I am. See, I think that before we start a, every year, we could do that every single week, but we should take a deep, long look at ourselves and say, okay, where am I at? How am I doing? What do I need to work on? Because none of us are perfect, right? Paul said that. <laughs> he goes, I haven't got there yet. All right, so here's how we're going to make goals. The SMART method. First, they need to be specific. This is something that you probably have read along the way. It's not anything new, but it is super effective. It's effective for ministries. It's effective for businesses. If you want to make goals in your business, you want to make goals in your life, it really just fits everything because a, a goal needs to be specific. I need to be able to know exactly what I'm wanting to do. Secondly, it needs to be measurable. I need to be able to measure it. Number three, it needs to be attainable. So if you give yourself, hey, I want, no, so like, let's say weight loss. I'm gonna, I want to lose some weight. So that's specific. I want to lose weight. Then it has to be measurable. If I said, hey, I want to, um, um, I want to lose 100 pounds. Well, I do not have that much that I can possibly lose uh, and stay living. So it's not attainable and it's not realistic, Right? So I need something to be specific. I need to know what exactly I'm trying to do. I need to make it measurable. I need to make it attainable. What happens is this. You know what Christians do almost every year? I'm going to read the Bible in a year, and they make it to about Leviticus. <laughs> right? You get to Leviticus, and you're like, oh, I don't even own a bull. Why am I reading commandments about if my bull gouges somebody else's bull that I'm supposed to do this for his bull? I don't even have a bull, right? So what happens is that we make these things that are not realistic. Maybe if you want to read the, the Bible in a year, start with the ones that are most attainable to your life. Like, hey, I'm going to start in the New Testament. I want to read the New Testament this year. You know, make something to where you know you can attain it, not something that's unrealistic. So I need specific. It needs to be measurable. Maybe you say, I'm going to read a chapter a day. To read the Bible in a year, you have to read four chapters a day. I have never, not one time in my 23 years of ministry, read the Bible in an entire year. I am a slow reader. Actually, I'm not really a slow reader, but I don't like to read four chapters at a time. I'll read, and I'll get stuck on a verse, and I'll be there for 30 minutes. I'll never get four chapters done, unless I'm ignoring everything, just to say that I did it. Guys, it's more important to get something. It's more important to make sure I'm walking away with something than being able to check a box and say, I read four chapters, I don't remember anything. I'd rather you read four verses and go, yes, I got something I want to do. And it's got to be timely. Okay? I gotta be, I've got to put a timetable to it. Guys, this is, this is how you make smart goals. Now, here's the problem with goals. So you, having, I, I think goals are great, but... There's also problems because here's one of the problems that I see in today's America is we want to reach the goal without the work. Great example is this. One of the things that Barbara and I talk about her being in the nursing world, she's like, everybody wants 
pills for everything. So um, I have had, I've had, past tense, uh, blood pressure issues. So I don't, I don't like pills, so I didn't have any pills for them. I just never went to the doctor to, to do anything. But the last several times I've went to the doctor, um, I don't have high blood pressure. Well, I'm exercising more, and I'm eating right. Oh, shocker, right? But what we do is like, I don't want to work out, and I don't want to eat healthy, so just give me a pill. Don't you, like, don't you have a pill for that? Hey, I want to lose weight. Do you have a pill for that? Do we got a pill for this? You got, and what our problem is, is this. We got ourselves in a situation, and we don't want to work to get out of it. That's a problem. We do the same thing spiritually. We get ourselves in this hole, and it's like, I really don't want to read my Bible. I really don't want to spend time praying. I really don't want to get up and go to church. And then we wonder why our life and our heart is a mess. So the problem when we set goals is when I don't want to put the work into getting it. Because if you don't put the work into getting the goal, no matter how smart your goal is, you won't get it. We want a quick fix. But here's the thing. The good news, change happens when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. Right? Sometimes, sometimes I, my, my, you know, maybe that's why not, not everybody asks me to pray for them all the time, but sometimes when I like, Lord, let them get to the place that they need to be that they're going to listen to you. You're laughing. I might have prayed that for you. <laughs> like sometimes a child needs to hit rock bottom for the, so that their stubbornness can be dealt with. Right? Well, they don't listen to no one. We'll let them hit the, maybe they're going to have to hit rock bottom. Because what happens is this, when I, when I realize that what I'm doing isn't working... That pain has to get great enough for me to want to change. Most people fight change. Most people fight change. Most churches fight change. Most ministries fight change. And the change is there to help us improve and get better. You'll never get the help when you don't think that you have a problem. One of the things I love about Celebrate Recovery and those, the first thing that we come is, first, first step to all of the recovery is admit you're not God. Well, that's, it sounds, sounds easy, like, wow, well, yeah, I know I'm not, but we love playing God. I like to be in control. I don't like when, things, when, when I'm leaving things to somebody else to be in control, right? Every married couple says right? Like, I want to be in control of this house. I want to be in control of this marriage. And, and your marriage fights become this fight for who's in control when really ultimately God is to be in control and we're to submit and follow him. And we have a hard time doing it. So part of Celebrate Recovery and every freedom program that's out there is to help you understand that you got a problem and you need to admit that you got a problem so that you can work on the problem because you're never going to get help when you think that you're just fine. The second thing I would ask you is this, is your goal that you have, that you've set this smart goal, is that goal worth fighting for? So let's say that, 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 that you're like, man, I really want to become spiritually mature this year. Is it worth 
the work and fighting for it even when you're tired and you don't want to get up and do your devotions that morning? Is it worth you know, getting up when, when you could have stayed home and watched all the pregame stuff and you're going to have to miss all that to go to church? You know, is, is, it, is it worth pulling your kids out of practice early to make sure they're at church? All the coaches know about that with the Yoder family. They're like, well, on Wednesdays they're, gonna, they're getting out. I don't care what sport it is. We're leaving at this time because we are not going and missing church. And the thing is, is that are we willing to put that work in? Are we willing to say, I'm going to set some boundaries? And even if that means less playing time, I'm going to say, God is my top priority. You can respect that. You can respect me or not. And so the thing is, is that when you start setting goals, are, you, are they worth fighting for? Are they worth putting the work into? Because if they're not, then you don't have a good goal. Set a good goal that you're willing to fight for, that you're willing to get up early for. Not just the spiritual. If you're just like, hey, I need to get my body healthy, then get it healthy. But whatever you set those goals out there, when you set those out there, then you fight for it. Make sure it's worth fighting for. And here's the deal. If it's worth fighting for and it's worth putting the work in, then don't quit. That's the biggest thing of why people don't, you know, I, I remember a season when I kind of almost preached against New Year's resolutions because we we're just going to quit them anyways. And I'm like, man, I can't believe I was that cynical. I mean, there's, there's seasons, right? And so the thing is, is that I look at it and go, okay, we got to learn to stop quitting. We need to start learning how to reset. Okay, don't quit it, reset it. And that's what we're going to focus on the rest of the time. So looking at the very next verse in Philippians 3.13, we're going to look at, let's stop quitting things and just reset. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet taking a hold of it. Man, he just keeps coming back to the same stuff. He goes, but one thing I do, one thing I do, and it's actually three things that he does, but anyways, um, Paul wasn't a mathematician. So one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, hear, hear me, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal right? The goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Man, there is so much here. <laughs> this whole entire verse is in present tense, Greek. It means that what his, he says, this one thing I do, forgetting, straining, and pressing, all of these are in present tense. It means that this is a continuous, habitual ongoing thing that he's not forgetting one time and straining toward one day and then i press on sometimes he's saying this is my way of life i'm constantly forgetting what's behind i'm continuously straining forward i'm habitually pressing on this is his life he's saying this is how i live life not how i do one day He's not saying, hey, January 1st, I forget, you know, uh, 2023, and then I, I strain forward on, on the second, and then I, I press on on the third, and, and then I'm done. He's like, this is my way of life. This is the reset life. This is how I, for, I, I reset. And, and you know what? You get up every single day. Forgetting what happened yesterday, I'm straining toward what's on today's docket. I'm going to press through this day, and I'm going to go to sleep, and I'm going to hit the reset button, and I'm doing it again. You know, when I started thinking about, you know, of course, press on here is the same Dioko word that we was talking about earlier. I don't need to 
to, to hit that, but, but check this out. So I broke it down a little bit into an uh, a, uh, Excel sheet here for you, just for all, all the math nerds in the room. So I, I wanted to hit everybody. I got pictures, I got color charts, and now I've got an Excel sheet. So um, forgetting what is behind. So a couple of things that I want to make sure that you understand. Forgetting is not to remove it. It's not like you can just, you know, you'd have to really hit your head really hard to forget everything, right? I mean, you'd have to really hit your head hard. So it's not about removing it. It's about not reliving it. I, I need to get in a place in my life that I stop recalling all, my, 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 the, recalling all of those things from my past and reliving them because I'm not really able to move forward when I keep reliving the past. Has, has anybody ever struggled getting past the past? Right? So here's what he's saying is it's not that you're never going to, it's not like you're wiping and doing a, a, you know, a control alt delete, you know, of your mind. You're not forgetting it. It says, I'm just not going to keep recalling it out and reliving it. But I want you to understand. So, so I need to leave behind my past failures, my mistakes, the sins, and even the miseries. Doesn't mean that I don't remember any of those. It means that I'm not going to relive them. But also means this, and this is what most people forget. It also means to leave behind my past successes, triumph, victories, and honor. See, you know why there's so many churches dying? I, I, I have pastored several churches that were on their last leg. I walk into the church, and, and, I, and I always ask the same question. There would be about 15 people, everybody above the age of 70, and I was like, what happens in 15 years? Look around, what happens in 15 years from today? Will we die? Okay. What's the problem? And most of the time, well, they don't want our music. They don't, and, and it became this dividing factor that they are still doing church in the 1970s and they're still reliving their old days. Well, you know what? The revivals used to work. This used to, you know, when we did this, this, and what happens is they're living in their past victories and their past successes, then they haven't had a baptism in several years. They haven't led anyone to the Lord for several years, and then they're wondering why they're dying. It's because they're, they haven't forgot what's behind them, and they're not straining towards anything in front of them. You will die. Your business will die. Your marriage will die. Your family will die. Your home will die. Everything will die if you live in the past. You can't live in the past and go forward. You can't do it. So he says, one thing I do, I, every day I'm forgetting what's behind me and now I'm straining. The word strain, right? Think about Something that's strenuous, something that you, it took a lot of effort. Now that the past is behind me, I now need to focus on the future because I'm straining toward what is ahead. So this is going to take extreme effort. This is going to take hard work. I need to join a new battle and, and seek out a new victory. So I'm not treading water and I'm not staying the same. See, some people say, well, I'll forget what's behind, but I'm not going anywhere. We are still headed to the same destination. If I'm stranded in the middle of the ocean and I don't know which land is, I can promise you the guy that I am, I'll be swimming. I might be swimming the wrong direction, but I'm swimming. There is no way. My mind would not let me tread water. I don't know where land is. There's four directions. I'm choosing one. I could choose the wrongest one. But I'm choosing a direction because I know where treading water leads. Treading water leads to death. 
Every time, if you're in the water and, and you're in the middle of the ocean and you got, hey, there's so long and you're going to cramp and drown. So I'm going to, if I'm cramping and drowning, it's because I'm trying. So often we find ourselves, our, our lives, our families, our marriages, all of this, guys, it applies to every part of your life. We've got to forget what's behind. I can't keep reliving the past. Even if it's good, I got to make some good new memories. I got to move in a good new direction. He says, I press on towards the goal. You can't reach the future without effort in the present. Huh? Come on, right? I worked really hard on that statement. Thanks, guys. Oh, no, it's too late. It's too late. <laughs> So we know that the word press on is the most vigorous of verbs. It's the pursue to overtake. It's the chase to capture word, right? So he's, he's, he's saying, listen, you know, I forgot what's behind me. I've set some, some there's some goals. And, and who's setting the goal, guys? Who's setting the goal? Is it Paul setting the goal? Or is it taking a hold of that which Christ took a hold of me. He's chasing after what God has for him. What would happen in your life if you were chasing vigorously after what God has for you? God, what do you have for me in 2024? God, what do you want me to do? You know, the Bible says in Ephesians 2.10 that you were created in Christ to do good works. You are his workmanship. So God already has a plan and good things he wants you to accomplish this next year and the next days and the next months. And he has them all out in front of you. And it's like he knows what they are. So God, help me find them. Help me do them. God, put them out in front of me. I'm chasing. I'm pursuing you. And I want to do good while I'm doing it. See, remember that goal. Remember verses 7 through 11? I want to gain Christ. I want more of Him. I want to be found in Him. I want to suffer with Him. And I want to die in Him. I mean, Paul was pretty clear with all of these goals set out, right? Isn't that pretty amazing? Can you imagine if your goal, God, I want more of you today. What if you woke up in the morning, each morning, and said, God, yesterday was amazing. Thank you for being in it. Now today, I want to gain more of you and I want to, uh, whoever comes into contact with me, I want them to find me in you. God, I, I, if, if, if your will for me today is to suffer, I want to do it representing your name. And I'm willing to do it. And God, if today is my last day, then may it be a day that people can say that that person died in the Lord. What if that was every day? What if we went to work with that kind of heart? What would happen to our world around us? Can you imagine what your coworkers would start being like if that's how you lived every single day at work? What if you lived that out before your kids? Man, I want, you know, one of the things that uh, my wife was having me uh, listen to a song. I'm, I'm, I cry on every father movie. Guys, I cried bad watching The Crudes. Yeah. You remember when he was left behind, he threw all of his family across the big valley, but he can't throw himself because, you know, so they're all over there and he goes into the cave and he draws a picture and he's like remembering all of his kids and his arm. I'm like, he was a good dad. You know, I'm like, like something inside of me gets so emotional. I want to be a good dad and, and I want to be a good husband and I want to be a good dad. While well, I was listening to the song, 
that all of uh, my, the, the girls in my house are listening to. And it was, it was talking about, uh, a, it was like a girl singing this, this, this song that she wanted to find a man like her dad and how he loved his, her, their mom. And I'm just like, oh, you know. Like, I've been thinking about that. So my wife doesn't even know it. She sent it to me. And sometimes I just don't say anything because I'm like, I don't want to cry thinking about that stupid song. Stupid song. So, anyways, and so, you know, when I started thinking about, like, man, you know, like, I want my kids to see my love for Christ. I want my kids to want the same, I want my kids to have the same desire I have for Jesus. Right? And, I, and, 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 and so the thing is, when I start thinking about this, I think that we make our goals so self-centered that we're, we're missing that, God, I just want you. And if I have you, everything else starts working out. Have you guys ever noticed that? It's like, God, if I just have you, my marriage is better. God, if I just have you, right? So let me close. In Philippians 3.15, he says this. This is the very next verse after he says all of that. He says this, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. He's like, listen, if you are a mature Christian, that's your view. If you're a mature Christian, how do I go backward? No, there we go. If you're a mature Christian, you're going to forget what's behind, strain toward what's ahead, and press on toward the goal. That's what he's saying. Paul's saying it, not me. Paul's saying it. All of us then who are mature should take such a view. If you are mature, he's saying if you're a mature Christian, that's how you should look at life. Forget what's behind, strain toward what's ahead, and you press on with everything you have to take hold of that goal of knowing Christ, being found in him, suffering like him and dying like him. That's what maturity looks like. So if you were to think about making a goal, spiritual goal this year, make it to be mature. God, I want to be a mature believer this year. Because we, 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 we could use that word easy. I'm a mature believer and then be talking about people. We could, oh, I'm a mature believer and then complain. And that's not very mature, right? The thing is, is that I want to develop maturity. God, help me become mature. And then some days you're going to wake up and you're like, oh man, I had some conversations I probably shouldn't have had. That wasn't very mature. God, I'm going to ask you to forgive me. I'm going to put that behind me. And today I'm not going to do that again. Sounds good, right? I like that. And he says, and if, if, if on some point you think differently, that God would make it clear to you. <laughs> if you're like, oh, I disagree, Paul. He goes, you have your right to be wrong. That's what he's saying. He goes, this is what maturity is. And if you don't think it, you have your right to be wrong. So then he says this, only let us live up to what we've already attained. I want you to hold on to that. Do I have the same expectations for our youth who have known, who've just been alive for 15 years or less, maybe six, 16, a couple of them, 17 maybe, right? That I do someone who's been alive 50 years, 60 years, 70 years. You see what I'm saying is sometimes what we do is we're, we have this, we try to make the same expectation. So youth do dumb things, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, they do, Right? Sometimes what happens is, oh, the kids are noisy. Oh, the kids did this thing. You know what? I'm, I'm sometimes like, man, I don't think our youth group has broken enough lights yet or put enough holes in the walls yet. You know, I'm, I'm kidding. Don't start trying to do that. But like I halfway expect kids to do some dumb things because they're kids. 
And sometimes what we do is we forget this. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. Every one of us has attained different measures. So why would I expect Grace Drake to live up to the same level as Pastor Paul? On the vice versa, I would say, if Pastor Paul's acting like Grace Drake, I don't know that he's living up to what he's attained. So I want you to be careful with how you look at other people and even the expectations that you place on yourself. Understanding that God, I just, he says, only let us. He's saying, God, we're all chasing you with everything that we have. Just let us live up to what you've already given us. Doesn't that take a little pressure off? Come on. We live in a world with a lot of pressure. And he's saying, let's just live up to what we've attained. And then guess what? Tomorrow, I'm seeking to attain more of Christ. Uh, come on, you see where that's going, right? And then the next day, God, I want more of you and more of you and more of you. And so then my living up to is that level's raising. Can I get an amen, right? Isn't that pretty awesome? What if we lived 2024 like this? What if that's what our goal started out? Come on, I like, who said that? That a girl, all right. So here's the thing. I'm going to have the worship team, that they got a song to close us out in, and, and we're going to open up the altars. During this time as we open up the altars, guys, this is also um, our, our kind of the last opportunity to give if you were wanting to give um, up here anyways. But I want you guys to bow your head and close your eyes, and, and, and here's, here's what I want you to do. This is, this is, invitation is such a powerful opportunity for us. The altar is such a neat place. I... It's, it's where we, we lay things down. And the idea is to lay it down and leave it down. So here's what our exercise is going to be. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Some of us here today have been dragging around some dead stuff. Some of us are still reliving and recalling the past. And it's ruining our future. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Some of us need to lay that past down. And we need to do it now. The altar's open. If you've got some past, guys, I'm not saying that you're going to forget it. But you got to stop reliving it and you got to stop letting it hold you back. So if there's some past right now that you need to let go of, bring it up here. The second thing that we need to do is we're letting go, forgetting what's behind us. Some of us need to commit to God, I'm going to strain toward what you have for me. I'm not only going to let this thing go, but now I need to commit myself that, God, I'm going to put the work in. So some of us today, maybe that's where we need to come forward. God, I haven't, I haven't given you my best. I haven't given you my best gift. I haven't given you my best time. God, I've just been giving you my leftovers, and now I'm not giving you my leftovers. I'm going to give you the best of me. Maybe that's our commitment. I'm going to strain, God. 
God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to strain toward what you have for me, and I know it's going to be exhausting, and I know I'm going to get tired, but God, I'm straining toward what's ahead. And the last part of this, God, no matter what happens this year, no matter what happens tomorrow, no matter what happens next, God, I'm pressing on. If I have a bad day, if I have a hiccup, if something doesn't go well, God, I'm getting back up. I won't quit. See, that's what pressing on is. God, I won't quit this race you have me on. God, I'm not giving up. I'm not giving in. And some of us have given up way too easily. And some of us have quit way too easily. Some of us have allowed those frustrations. So right now, if you've been a person who struggled with that commitment and you've struggled with pressing through when it gets hard, come up, commit to God. God, I won't quit you. God, I'm not done. I'm not finished and I'm going to press on.